Fox Sports Indiana, and you're listening to Small Town Sports Talk. Hello and welcome to another episode of Small Town Sports Talk brought to you by Endeavor Communications. I am Jonah Freeman, joined by my co-host Andrew Willa. Andrew, how's it going today? Jonah, never been better per usual and very excited for this episode. Uh, one of our favorite guests to come on the show, this is his third time on, the two-time state champion Ron Colley Rebel. Uh, been with 107.5 and 1070 The Fan since 2008, was a sideline reporter for the Colts. Uh, starting in 2013 before taking the interim tag as the radio voice of the Colts in 2018 before being full-time each of the last two seasons as the radio voice of the Colts. We're pretty excited to welcome on Mr. Matt Taylor. And we also can't forget uh, a, I believe, one-time Super Bowl presentation judge over at Monrovia High School for Mr. <laughs> Dan Flatt, So. <laughs> uh, Matt, thanks for joining us. How you doing? I'm great. That's probably the uh, the most Im- impressive part of the resume, which you nailed, <laughs> by the way. Uh, now it's good to be with you guys. How you guys doing? Hey, we're doing great. Uh, obviously, the big talk of today's show is Wentz to the Colts, but I got one. I feel like it wouldn't be a small town sports talk podcast without a question about COVID. It's just unfortunately that's where we've been. So I know Goodell has is kind of hoped he's saying that he expects full fans in the stands next year. How does that affect your job as the head voice of the Colts? And are you excited for that? I am excited for that. Uh, I, I choose to be an optimist uh, when it comes to all of this stuff. I, I'm hoping for the best. And uh, I mean, listen, no matter what we get next season is going to be a whole heck of a lot better than what we had last year. You know, at times, Absolutely. Uh, you know, Lucas Oil Stadium, uh, you know, Indianapolis and, and the Colts were fortunate in that they were allowed to have some fans, you know, some games. It was like 8,000, 10,000. I think the most they had. Uh, throughout the course of the season was like 12, 12 and a half, um, which made a huge difference when you're talking about NFL stadiums compared to, you know, when we go on the road and we had to do games virtually and there was no fans like at Soldier Field or, uh, you know, the Lions didn't have any fans. And, you know, when the Colts would make a play, you know, score a touchdown, I was like, did, did that just happen? Because there was there was no reaction one way or another, good or bad. So, um, yeah, I, I'm hoping to have full stadiums because, you know, just to, to break out the dorky side of play by play, you know, the, the crowd and the stadium and the atmosphere, like that's like the third element of the broadcast. It's the play by play guy, the analyst, but then the crowd, I mean, you, you could just hop in. I mean, we've all done this where you, you hop in a car and you turn on a game and the crowd one way or another tells you what's going on with the game. Just the, the atmosphere and the vibe of the crowd can tell you like if you're a home team, whether or not it's going well, or if you're the road team and you hear the crowd in the background, then you, you probably think, Oh, it's not going well. So um, I, I'm excited for that layer to come back because as a play by play guy, again, you can use that to your advantage. You know, you can kind of get the heck out of the way uh, in, in big moments and let the crowd dictate the intensity of, of the moment of the game. So I'm definitely excited for that, and, and hopefully it does come back in full effect. All right, I mentioned Wentz right off the bat. I think the, the first thing we want to know, you haven't been able to talk about it up until recently. What were your first thoughts about the Carson Wentz trade with him coming to Indianapolis? Yeah, I thought it was great. Um, it, makes, it makes total sense no matter how you look at it. I mean, the first way you can look at it from a cult standpoint is, you know, sitting there, it's a very interesting dynamic. You know, if you start from the beginning – the Colts are a good team and they've got the core of their roster in place. You know, if you look at the team, they've got, you know, 20, 
I mean, you can kind of loose, loose starters, loose contributors, but no matter what, you've got 19 or 20 of 22 starters on both sides of the ball coming back. So they're, they're a very uh, well-built team. Uh, they, they've done a nice job over the last couple of years in free agency, the draft, things like that. Um, but, you know, sitting there picking at 21, you're not going to get an elite quarterback. You're not going to get one of the top quarterbacks in the draft. Uh, in, in order to do that, you know, you've you got to, you know, you, the, we saw what the 49ers have done. You know, we, we've seen what uh, some of these other teams in, in recent past have done. You know, what, what the Houston Texans did with Deshaun Watson. Um, they have to move up, you know, 15, 10 to 15 spots in the draft. Uh, but then you also have to give up draft capital, you know, the year you do it. But then you're also going to have to give up future number ones. It's sort of the, the going rate for starting quarterbacks or quarterbacks, you know, high in the, in the, in the draft. Uh, guys that are going to go in the top 10. So I love the fact that the Colts didn't go that route because it's just a crapshoot. Uh, you know, you, you talk about quarterbacks from 2009 to 2016, you know, the guys that go in the first round. I don't think there's anybody on those teams uh, quarterback wise that were drafted in that time period that are still on the teams that they were drafted by. Um, so th that's just what happens with, with, with quarterbacks. You know, if you reach for a guy and you get it wrong, uh, we're seeing that right now with the Jets. You got to start the clock all over again, and it appears they're going to do that with Zach Wilson. Um, so I loved what the Colts did, and you know it kind of goes back to the DeForest Buckner trade last year. You know, you trade the 13th overall pick, but you're getting a bona fide player. You're getting a proven player. You're not getting a projected uh, projection. You're not getting a guy that you hope is good or you think is good. You know this guy's a stud, um, and and I'm all for that. And the Carson Wentz trade is is, is sort of in that mold where you know he can play on Sundays. You've seen it. Frank Reich has seen it up close and personal. He's got a front row seat to it on the sidelines in 2017 when Carson Wentz was probably going to be the MVP if he doesn't tear his ACL in game number 14 or whatever it was. You know, he was a 33-touchdown, seven-interception guy. Um, so, obviously, last year was – uh, it, it was a it was a it was a good player having a bad season. And, you know, all these things contributed to it. Uh, Carson Wentz did not absolve himself from, you know, the, the role that he played in the bad season, you know, individually, uh, team wise in Philadelphia. But I just love what the Colts did. They're, they're getting a proven player. He's not a draft pick um, and they're, they're, they've been able to successfully box themselves out of the corner. Uh, they were kind of left in uh, when, when Andrew Luck decided to retire. And in short order, in less than two years, you know, they got a franchise quarterback again, a guy who's 28, still in his prime. You can argue hasn't fully reached his prime yet. Hopefully the Colts can, you know, coach that, uh, that, that prime into him this upcoming season. And if you look at the contract, it's nowhere near what some of these guys this offseason are, are going for, like Dak Prescott. You're getting him relatively cheap uh, by NFL quarterback standards. Um, so I love the move all the way around. You know, it, it gives you quarterback stability after three years of trying to figure it out. And, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's a perfect move because uh, it's not like Carson Wentz is going to have to shoulder all the responsibility. Like maybe he felt like he had to do at times last year. He's got one of the best offensive lines coming back. He's got an elite running back in Jonathan Taylor, who has a limitless potential. T.Y. Hilton's back uh, a young core of wide receivers that can be playmakers. This is a really good situation for Carson Wentz. You know, if you got 65 to 70 offensive snaps per game, he's going to have to make plays. I mean, don't get me wrong. Every quarterback in the NFL has to make plays, but he's, he doesn't have to make every play every single down. Like, again, maybe he thought to last year, like he had to last year. Sure. And I know 
you talked about the Colts didn't have to give up all those first round picks. You saw Philadelphia maybe wanted a Matt Stafford type package, Matt Stafford, who was another potential option, but instead the Colts don't have to give up too much. They did Carson Wentz. What's been uh, Colts fans like, what are Carson Wentz weaknesses? Uh, what does he do? Well, what can they expect out of him this next season? No, good question. I think last year in Philadelphia, you know, the things that you could argue got him in trouble, you know, the footwork wasn't all that bad, uh, great. Uh, maybe anticipating things inside the pocket he can improve on. I mean, he took 50 sacks last year in 12 games. So the offensive line in front of him, obviously, you know, what was that fault? They had a lot of injuries. He didn't have the greatest, you know, set of skill players around him. But anytime you take 50 sacks, you know, some of that is on the quarterback. And so, uh, maybe holding on to the ball a little bit too long. And again, feeling like he maybe had to, to make a play every single time out, you know, as, as this, it's kind of human nature as, as the season goes on and the more and more things are kind of going downhill, it's just human nature to want to press and, and make things happen and kind of take things into your, to your own account there. So um, I think that's part of it. Um, you know, strength, uh, strength wise, you know, when he comes in here again, I, I think this offense can look a little bit like it did in 2018 with Andrew Luck. You know, last year with Phillip Rivers, the Colts got their chunk plays, but there wasn't a ton of deep shots down the field. There was a handful, um, but in terms of, you know, uh, comparing Phillip Rivers to Carson Wentz, Rivers was a tactician. He was uh, a genius at the line of scrimmage. And, and not, not saying that Carson Wentz is not or he can't get there, uh, but his strength right now is, is, is the arm. He can make every throw. Uh, he can make sideline to sideline throws. He throws an incredibly deep ball. Um, and that just wasn't uh, – Philip Rivers just wasn't going to give you that arm strength at age, you know, 39, 40 years old. Um, and that's why I'm so excited about uh, T.Y. Hilton coming back is, you know, T.Y. – again, the Colts got their chunk plays last year, but it was a lot of, you know, uh, yards after the catch, crossers, um, you know, things across the middle, things like that. Uh, but T.Y. Hilton coming back, you know, his his yards per catch with Phillip Rivers last year was 11. And that's a very unlike T.Y. Hilton type of number. And if you go back to 2018, the last year he played with Andrew Luck, his yards per catch was 16. So it doesn't sound like a big difference five, you know, between 11 and 16. But that's that's a huge difference when it comes to the NFL. Um, so I think yards per attempt is going to be big with Carson Wentz. And I think this offense is going to be a little bit more explosive with T.Y. Hilton kind of taking the top off the defense like we saw again with Andrew Luck. And then you, you couple that with playmakers Paris Campbell coming back and knock on wood, he can stay healthy for the first time in his career. Michael Pittman uh, had just a, a phenomenal end to the season last year in his rookie campaign. Um, and I think he's a guy that's much faster with the ball in his hands than he is just, you know, general speed. Um, so there's a lot to like here. And I think there's – a great deal of potential and it's just, you know, coaching all of the greatness out of Carson Wentz that, that Frank Reich um, can do. And, and again, I can't stress this enough. The Colts probably don't make this move. Um, and this is an aggressive move. I mean, anytime you're potentially giving up a first round draft pick like the Colts are in 2022 with Carson Wentz, there's a level of risk involved, but the Colts don't make this move if they're not a hundred percent confident in Frank Reich's ability to coach the best out of quarterbacks. And that's the beauty of it. He is such a good job. He does such a good job of not just coaching the position. He's going to coach the player. He's going to coach the guy. He knows what makes Carson Wentz tick. 
He knows what makes him great. Again, he saw it uh, firsthand in 2017. So he's going to know what buttons to push. And so Frank Reich and Jim Merce, or excuse me, Chris Ballard and Jim Merce say probably don't sign off on this move if they don't have a great deal of intel and a great deal of belief in Frank Reich to coach up Carson Wentz just as he did last year with Phillip Rivers, who, by the way, was coming off a down 2019 season and had a spectacular 2020 uh, season to end his career. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Brennan Beth, 19 out of 20 starters, Matt, or 19 to 20 starters out of 22, obviously. Uh, and replacing Phillip Rivers, one of those starters lost with a quarterback like Carson Wentz. You also bring back T.Y. Hilton, much to the rejoice of Colts Twitter. But I want to step over to the defensive side. You lose a player like Anthony Walker. What kind of uh, an impact will be missed with him gone now? Yeah, I just think leadership. I think stability, consistency, um, all of those things describe Anthony Walker as a player. Um, and that's it, it's sort of a, a catch-22 um, when you're Chris Bauer. When you, when you draft this well, you know, you sometimes you have to make hard decisions and the Colts have drafted well and they've had a boatload of draft picks since he's been here uh, as the GM since 2017. And specifically linebacker is a position that he's drafted incredibly well. In fact, all of the linebackers last year, I think there was seven on the roster, which is very, very rare by NFL uh, standards. But every dra- every every linebacker that was on the team last year was a Chris Ballard draft pick. Um, So it just boils down to the fact that you you can't keep everybody in free agency. You don't have enough money. It's a business at the end of the day. You know, we hear that all the time. And so you you just can't keep all the great players that you want to. You have to make tough decisions. And he was a guy that, you know, it it was kind of the odd man out. And I think it kind of boiled down to the fact that, you know, Bobby, Bobby Okariki's emergence uh, the last two years, he's a draft pick in, in 2019 out of Stanford. Um, the Colts are really high on him. In fact, uh, Walker last year played less than 70% of the snaps, um, which was way down from a couple of years ago when he was basically an every down, every game starter. Um, but Bobby Okariki slowly crept his way onto the field and it just got harder and harder uh, situationally to take Okariki off the field. So um, it just kind of boiled down to the Colts have a lot of depth at linebacker, Plus, Bobby Okariki can can come in and, and, and give you some more, you know, versatility playing Sam linebacker, playing Mike linebacker, and the fact that Anthony Walker was a free agent. But wishing nothing but the best. He is, uh, I tell you what, from from a personal standpoint, he's one of my favorite players I've ever been around. He's a great locker room guy, incredibly articulate, and incredibly intelligent. Um, I have no doubt that he's going to go to that Brown situation and, and flourish and make that defense a lot better. Yeah, Matt, you mentioned what happens when you have a lot of your own drafted guys. And I know this is a question Andrew was really wanting to ask. Um, When you have your own guys like that, I think you have to see what the Colts did this year. And that's prioritize giving the money to your own guys. Are you okay with that strategy? And I know the big question for Andrew was, would you like to see the Colts like maybe go after a couple more big name free agents if it means not giving as much money to your own guys? Well, and Matt, like each of these last few off seasons, the Colts have been one of those teams with tons of money. You could see them go be a player in free agency and none of the off seasons, the Colts have gone out and done that. So just, yeah, what, what Jonah said and what do you think of our strategy? Well, it's, it's, there's, there's two different sides to it. One is to look at and say, 
and bring up things we've already talked about, you know, you, you've got, you know, 19 or 20 of 22 starters coming back and you were an 11 and five team last year and you made the playoffs and uh, you arguably should have beat the team. One of the teams that played in the AFC championship game, if a handful of things go right in that contest. So bottom line is you're close. So you, you really don't have to do a whole lot. Um, and, you know, you, you keep some of that money that you have for uh, re-signing some guys that are, are, are worthy of it, that you're going to need money for to re-sign in the near future, like Braden Smith and Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard and Naeem Hines. And, you know, so you're, you're getting the idea of all of those guys from that epic uh, 2018 draft class. They're all going to be free agents within the, within the next two years. Uh, Quentin Nelson has a fifth-year option, but the rest of them are going to be up soon. Um, and there's there's some of your best players. There's some of your core players. And, and they're going to be deserving of, of that money. And they're going to demand that money, quite frankly. I mean, Quentin Nelson's going to be the highest paid uh, offensive lineman of the game, whether he's playing tackle or guard. Um, and that's another storyline this offseason. But at any rate, you know, same, same is true for Braden Smith. I mean, he's been a rock-solid tackle for you. And he's going to get uh, be very deserving of, of a high contract in terms of his position group. Um, you know, so you like where the team is and obviously, you know, no team is perfect. Every team has needs every single year. Um, and I would say as of right now, the biggest need is, you know, with Anthony Costanzo retiring, figuring out what you're going to do at left tackle. I would say defensive end is, is maybe the biggest need out, out, out you know, uh, on top of, uh, offensive tackle for me, because the reason why I would put it number one is at offensive tackle this off season, you, you've given yourself some options. Uh, you know, you've signed Sam Tevy, you signed Julian Davenport. Um, you know, you've made some moves in free agency that, that give you depth and it is starting quality depth. Uh, certainly more so quality than you had at, uh, at this time last year on the offensive line. Um, and that's no disrespect to Chaz Green or LaRaven Clark, but these guys have started, you know, full seasons in the NFL. Plus you have that internal option of moving Quentin Nelson from guard to tackle. If you feel like that's the best option for you. And every time Frank Reich and Chris Ballard speak publicly this off season, they don't necessarily shoot it down right away, which speaks to it being to some degree still on the table. So it's going to be fascinating, but I, I would say, you know, defensive end and getting after the quarterback has got to be paramount. Um, you, know, you look at Ben Banigou and, and Kamoko Toure, uh, the Colts are, you know, they, they've invested a lot of draft capital on those two guys the last couple of years, but they're waiting for them to kind of uh, have that light bulb go off. Uh, they're young players at a, at a position where it's tough to make a transition. I totally get that. But the facts are in the last two years, those two guys have combined for five sacks. Um, so you, you got to get more out of those players and you got to get more consistency from that position. Uh, you know, uh, Isaac Rochelle was signed in free agency from the Chargers. He's been primarily a, uh, a rotational piece uh, for the most of his career. Same is true with Al-Kadim Muhammad, who the Colts brought back. I think he's capable of a bigger role. Played about half the snaps last year, but again, for the most, uh, most part of his career, he's been a rotational piece. So the Colts, as of right now, do not have that, uh, you know, no doubt uh, pass rusher that's going to get you 9-10 to a, a dozen sacks a year. Justin Houston still on the open market. Uh, he's over the age of 30. Is he coming back? What's his future? Uh, regardless, the, the Colts need consistency and reliability of getting after the quarterback because last year they had it from the inside with the Forrest Buckner. Now they need the guys on the outside to, to, to get home and, and, and cause some more havoc. 
And I know Jonah was actually talking about this beforehand, but a guy on the outside like that, another uh, defensive pass rusher, Javidian Clowney, uh, taking a couple of visits here and there, but reportedly the Colts have some interest there. What do you think? What would you think if that were to happen? Well, you know, he's never been a huge sack guy, but he does a lot of other things, um, you know, that don't, that don't necessarily show up in the, in the, in the box score, you know, he's a good run player. Uh, he's a good, he attracts a lot of double teams. So um, he's a very enticing player, but he's also one of those guys that comes with a high price tag, or at least he has in the past. Um, it's, it's so fascinating. Cause I think going back to Justin Houston, you know, guys over the age of 30 uh, with the salary cap, way down compared to what it normally is, it's having a big impact on uh, free agency stock and where guys want to go. And they're having to prioritize a lot of things. So I think Clowney is probably in that bucket as well. Uh, but I, I know this Chris Ballard will not mortgage any sort of um, future. I mean, it's, it's funny. You look at all of the free agent contracts, the Colts have doled out this off season. They have five in-house guys coming back. And they've also given out five um, out of the market or outside free agents uh, contracts as well. Every single one of them, including T.Y. Hilton and Marlon Mack, uh, you know, Joey Hunt, you go, you go down the list. All of them have been one year deals. And I think, uh, you know, it makes a lot of sense when you look at the players individually, but just big picture wise, it just makes so much sense to do one year deals because you don't overextend yourself. If it doesn't work out with a guy, no big deal. You just move on. But it, it puts pressure on the players. It puts pressure on these guys to perform in contract years. And so you know you're going to get their best so that they have a shot to come back for you uh, in two, 2022 or, you know, uh, you know maximize their, their uh, free agency stock uh, this time next year when the, when the salary cap goes up. So um, it, it's always fascinating this time of year. Everybody likes to talk about the business side of things this time of year more so than the games, and I, I get it. Uh, but it's it's definitely fun because there's still a lot of big names out, out there on the open market like I thought there would be um, where I think you can get guys on the cheap compared to years past. Um, and we're not done by any stretch uh, of free agency, even though we're about two weeks away from the draft. Yeah, I was going to ask, so do you think we could make more moves in free agency or are we just looking ahead to the draft to add to some of those needs? No, I mean, I think, you know, this time last year, uh, this was the time Trey Burton was signed. Um, so there's going to get, there's, there's more and more players. I mean, you, you talk about the waiver claims as well, or the guys that just get cut. You know, we saw Giovanni Bernard get cut last week and then was picked up by the Buccaneers. And so you're going to see a lot of cap casualty guys uh, that are going to be on the open market as well. So you have to factor those guys in, you know, Giovanni Bernard's a really good player, but the fact that the Cincinnati Bengals are giving Joe Mixon like, 45 plus million dollars a year uh you just you just have to kind of make some hard salary cap and roster mechanic decisions you know it's like okay can we get can we get 85 to 90 percent of bernard's productivity in a draft pick the answer is probably yes especially with how you know devalued that running back position has been over the last couple of years so it's stuff like that that that's definitely still in play and it's definitely on the on the radar still of, of chris ballard yeah, uh, Andrew mentioned the draft. Um, where do you see the biggest need? I know, obviously, there's one offensive line piece that seems to be missing. Outside of that, you know, do you think the Colts go for maybe one more wide receiver weapon in case Paris Campbell can't stay healthy? What, are you, what, do you, what would you say your top three needs are for the Colts entering this draft? 
Well, I would say offensively, the biggest need would be tight end for me. And again, I know a lot of people say offensive tackle, but I think, uh, I think what you've done, and not that Chris Ballard would ever do this in the first round or any any round for that matter in a draft, but he's never going to reach. But the fact that you've um, solidified and done a nice job of giving yourself some options again at tackle in free agency means that you don't have to overextend yourself in the draft and pick a tackle at 21, which is where the Colts are picking in the first round, just for the sake of picking a tackle because you need one. Um, so I'm still saying if great, if, if all it's, it's, it's a deep tackle draft class. So if a tackles there that you like, that's worthy of that pick and that you think can come in right away and be a plug and play starter on either the right side or the left side at the tackle position, fine. So be it, do it. Uh, but if he's not there, uh, you, you have some luxuries of, what you've done to this point in the off season. Plus again, you can move Nelson from guard to tackle. I have no reservations if I'm the GM or the coach and doing that, because I think you know, everybody talks about, Oh, he's a generational guard. And you know, you would be weakening two different positions. I, I get that to a degree, but I think in short order, Quentin Nelson would be the best tackle in the game. Just like he's the best guard in the game. That's how good it is. Um, but at any rate, um, I would, I'm saying on offense, the biggest need is tight end. You know, because this offense, since Frank Reich's been here since 2018, the offense has been at, at its best when they've had a, had a field-stressing, versatile, playmaking tight end. You know, Eric Ebron, 2018, or go back to Philadelphia when Reich was the offense coordinator, Zach Ertz, you know, especially inside the red zone. That's where these guys can be incredibly dangerous. And Frank Reich loves himself some tight ends. You know, since he's been here, Colts tight ends have over 1,000 receiving yards and 36 touchdowns, right? That's our huge position for this offense. And right now they've got the wide tight ends, like the good, reliable blocking tight ends, the inline blocker guys, and, you know, the, um, the guys that are reliable on third down, the possession type tight ends like Jack Doyle and Mo Alley Cox. But is Trey Burton that guy? Is he coming back? Can he be that guy? We saw flashes and glimpses last year, but can he do it more consistently? Will he be a different player with a new quarterback? Or is this the year they finally, you know, spend a relatively high draft pick on a tight end? It's funny, Chris Ballard, since he's been here, has never drafted a tight end. In five years, has never drafted a tight end. And the Colts, funny enough, they haven't drafted a tight end since 2013. So that's the longest streak in the NFL of any franchise not drafting a tight end which speaks to the stability and the, you know, the reliability and the consistency they've had in that position over the years uh, with mainly Jack Doyle. But I think this offense needs that versatile tight end to kind of take it uh, to the next level. So that would be uh, mine on offense. And again, defense, I talked about defensive end. I definitely think that's, that's a, the biggest priority on that side of the ball. And then one a over there on that side, I would say corner because Xavier Rhodes is coming back in free agency, which is great because he's coming off an absolute fantastic season last year where he was great in coverage and allowed only about 50% completion percentage, which is a very, very good number in the NFL. But it's a one-year deal, and he's over the age of 30. And might he be a guy that, again, this time next offseason, looking to cash in and exploit uh, free agency uh, once again and maybe you know get that last multi-year deal that he might be looking for um, and the reason why that's big is, you know, you got one side of the field that's that's pretty much um, in a good spot. Plus, you have one of the best nickel corners in the game and Kenny Moore. But who's going to complement those guys? Who's going to play the other outside cornerback position? Uh, because consistency there 
was an issue at times last year, right? I mean, Rock Yassine was up and down, had some, uh, had some bad bouts with, uh, with penalties and, and getting handsy again and drawing a lot of flags. Uh, it was really good in, in zone coverage, but man-to-man continues to be something where he's striving for consistency. And then outside of that, Isaiah Rogers was a rookie last year, played some on defense, but was primarily on special teams, used as a return man. Marvel Tell opted out last season. He might be coming back, according to reports. But even if he does, we're talking about a guy that hasn't played football for the last two years. So corner is, has, has got some good depth in the draft. Um, would not be shocked, though, to see the Colts draft that position. Again, knowing they're looking for reliability and consistency to complement Xavier Rhodes next season. But then also after that, potentially find a guy that can be a mainstay for you. Uh, in the secondary after Xavier Rhodes, whenever his time with the Colts is over. Matt, I'm going to cut Jonah off real quick. I know he's got a question here, but I want to know who's that tied in in 2013. I know 20, maybe 11 was Flaner and Dwayne Allen, but I, I can't think to 2013 we drafted a tight end. So 2012, yeah, 2012 in that, that Andrew okay. Luck, T.Y. Hilton draft class, you had uh, Dwayne Allen and Kobe Flaner uh, taken in, in successive rounds. And then in 2013, it was a guy named Justice Cunningham, who was a seventh-round draft pick, tied in wise out of uh, South Carolina. He was actually the last pick in the draft, so Mister Irrelevant, and uh, was a good, good guy, good player. Didn't stick with the Colts very long. I think only one season, uh, but yeah, the Colts have not drafted a, a tight end since then. So I think it's uh, it, it's about due because the Colts. I mean, Noah Tongi is still on the roster. And I think he has some of those attributes from Oregon State. Uh, and the Colts obviously prioritized him. He was a waiver claim last Labor Day uh, before the start of the regular season. So they liked him, but he didn't get a whole lot of playing time last year. We didn't see him uh, in terms of what he could do in that role. Um, so I think there's still a high on him. But I, I think there's some, some tight ends in this draft where, you know, you're not going to get up Kyle Pitts. He's going to be gone the top, you know, five picks uh, at, at the worst. Um, but um, you, you could probably get, uh, I think, I think you get a pretty good versatile tight end in rounds three rounds four, maybe you get like the fourth or fifth best tight end in the draft class that deep in, in this, in, or excuse me, that, uh, that late in this draft, um, because I think it's deep and you can also, um, you wait that long and still get a guy that you probably can come in and, and play at a high level for you next season. Yeah, Matt, my last question for you before we wrap things up, and it has to do with adding the Super Bowl champs to the roster. Can I just get your thoughts really quick on the 17-game schedule that's being implemented this year? Yeah, it's a tough schedule. I mean, obviously, you're playing the defending champs, and they're coming to Lucas Oil Stadium, and, you know, Tom Brady and Bruce Arians, so a lot of hype, a lot of storylines for that game. So it's exciting. Uh, You know, you look at the schedule, just big picture, you're playing seven playoff teams, from last season, including three teams that played on divisional uh, weekend, uh, two teams that played uh, in the in the championship games, in the Buccaneers and the uh, the Buffalo Bills. So it's a t- it's a difficult schedule. So I'm saying, uh, you know, outside of that, you've got teams like, you know, emerging teams. In my opinion, like I think the Raiders are going to be much better next season. Uh, who knows what the Jets will look like with Zach Wilson. I think the New England Patriots are going to be a whole heck of a lot better than they were last year, and they went all in, as we saw in uh, in free agency. So I think they added probably six to seven, maybe eight new starters on their team. So I think they're going to be a lot better 
than their eight and eight season from last year. Uh, the 49ers obviously are going to be better. Miami was basically a, a playoff team last year. They were one of those teams that won 10 games in the AFC and didn't make the playoffs. So they were essentially a playoff team from a year ago. They're on the schedule. So I'm saying if the Colts win 10 games next year, that's a whole heck of that's that's a pretty good accomplishment. Um, and, and, and if they want, if they, and I said at the beginning of the season, if they wanted to make the playoffs as soon as 2021, they had to get good quarterback play. They need elite uh, quarterback play in this conference. I mean, we saw it last season where uh, seven, excuse me, eight teams in the conference won 10 games and all seven playoff teams, including the Colts, won 11 games. I mean, the Colts went 11 five last year and they barely got in. You know, they had to wait until, you know, week 17 to, to punch their ticket to the, to the postseason. That's how tight it was. So it's a very difficult schedule. I think the conference is loaded once again, and a lot of these teams have their quarterback situations figured out. Uh, it's going to be the Chiefs again. It's going to be the Ravens again. The Buffalo Bills aren't going anywhere. So it's going to be, it's going to be a really, really fun season. And the fact that we get 17 games in the regular season makes it good for the fans. I think it makes it good for obviously the drama towards the end of the season. Uh, it's it's good the fact that the preseason is going down from four games to three. I think that was, uh, I think that's kind of the consensus across the board. No matter who you are, a, a fan or a coach or a player, I think everybody agrees that you don't need four preseason games to find out who your top fifty-three guys are. Especially now with a lot of teams doing joint practices and things like that. So. Uh, I'm excited about it. It just means more meaningful football, which is great for the month of December and month of January because it just it's going to make playoff implications uh, even more dramatic. Yeah, 17-game season, tough schedule. Maybe, uh, hopefully, uh, full stadiums, full of fans. That's, that's good for the fans. It's good for you and your job. Uh, my last question, though, Matt, you mentioned the Patriots adding a lot of talent. Uh but of course, and they're also adding some players who opted out from last season. But of course, the news today, they just released uh, Julian Edelman, who retired. Question is, do you think he's a Hall of Famer? Oh, man, that's a really good question. Um, that's been the talk on Twitter all day. Is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer? I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer. But he's certainly, in my opinion, the greatest slot receiver who ever played on top of Wes Welker, in my opinion. Okay. Um, yeah, you're talking about, what is it, over 8,000 8, receiving yards. And, uh, I mean, there was times, you know, there was, not to get too analytical, but there, there, were, there were times where, you know, Tom Brady had nobody to throw the ball to. When Gronkowski was hurt and, you know, the, the the Patriots just haven't been known for great receivers over the over the course of Brady's tenure there. Um, so I mean, everybody knew the ball was going to go to Edelman, and he would still come down with it. He would still make plays. He would still get open. Um, so I, I just think that's that speaks to the type of player he is and was, and um, he just kind of wanted it more uh, than a lot of guys. And I think you know, for somebody that's that's coming out of a small school or not a powerhouse football program like Kent State. Uh, to carve out 11, 12 years, whatever it was, uh, and be that productive, it just comes down to want to. Just comes down, come, comes down to work ethic and and uh, and hustle and desire. So I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer, but he's certainly one of the best players uh, of his generation. And and for my money, he's probably the best slot uh, receiver that I've ever seen. 
and to come out of a small school at Kent State playing quarterback too to then go and yeah exactly a wideout for sure. But I think the official word we're getting is uh, maybe not on Julian Julian Edelman's Hall of Fame case. But Mr. Matt Taylor, thank you so much for joining us. All right, fellas, always good to be with you. Hope all's well. Absolutely. Matt, thank you for joining us. All of our listeners, thanks for listening. Make sure to go and listen to all of our podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. I'm Andrew Willett with Jonah Freeman, and this week, Mr. Matt Taylor. That's ST Squared.